All right, we are transitioning away from um, our uh, questions as we go through the questions that Jesus asked or the questions that Jesus asks. Um, we're, we're transitioning away from the, the few that we were talking about on faith. There might be a little bit of overlap. Uh, a lot of times we have overlap in our themes. Uh, but we're trying to keep them separate topics. Um, for the next two weeks, we are going to be looking at some questions Jesus asked that have to do with our expectations. And so we're going to start today with the first, at least I believe it is the first question, uh, it's definitely the first recorded question, that Jesus asked in his ministry. Now I want you to, for just a moment, uh, think, put yourself in this place. You're a disciple of John. And um, now your life has been spent raised uh, you were a little kid you were raised even before you knew the, the John the Baptist you you were raised with an understanding of, of what the Messiah was expected to be uh, you have a very typical idea of Messiah Messiah is going to come and Messiah is going to set us free from Rome you know before Rome they they thought the Messiah would come and set them free from Greece and and what whatever but the Messiah was going to set them free from from the political rulers that that were over them and uh, and that was their understanding of Messiah then you 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 find this guy this John the Baptist guy he's just so powerful uh, he's he's amazing uh, and, and and people went out and, and and went out to see this guy uh, and, and even Jesus talked about it. He's like, what did you guys go out to see? Did you see a reed shaken by the wind? Did you see some you know, puny guy? He was impressive. And then, as, as uh, John is talking about the, the Messiah's coming, now, that has to be exciting. Right there on the face of it, that has to be exciting. We always want to be the one to see whatever great thing is coming. Right? You want, wow, we're going to actually be the ones to see this thing finally happen. And, uh, and so, uh, you're, wow, this, this guy is coming. He's going to be pretty impressive. I mean, if, and John is saying, listen, I'm going to decrease. This guy is going to be, this guy is going to be greater than me. Now, if you thought John was great, you mean, this Messiah is going to be something. And then, uh, John, you might actually be the one to, to be in his inner circle. I mean, that would be incredible. Not just to see him, but then to be out of all the people in the history of the world. Not just to be there when, when he comes, but to be the, the ones to, to be with them. That's got to be pretty impressive. So with that, keep that in your mind as we turn to John chapter 1. John chapter 1, verse 35, beginning. He says, The next day John stood with two of his disciples and stood... That he was looking at Jesus as he walked, and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. There he is. Two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. And Jesus turned and looked at them, and following, and he said to them, What do you seek? What are you looking for? They said to him, Rabbi, which is translated, Where are you staying? He said, Well, come and see. They came and saw where he was staying and stayed with him that day. It was At that time, it was about the tenth hour, which would be our four o'clock in the afternoon. One of the two who heard John speak followed him, and that was 
Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, he first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, We found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ, and brought him to Jesus. And when Jesus looked at him, he said, You are Simon, the son of Jonah. You shall be called Cephas, which is translated a stone. Now, I want to look at this for just a moment. And I I do want to kind of solve a chronology problem with you. Uh, we, we, a lot of times we, we talk, a lot of people think about the weirdness of Jesus walking by the, the water and, and calling his disciples and they just leave, put down their, their nets and, and leave and follow. And that's kind of a little weird. Like, wow, that's weird. But, wow, Jesus must be pretty impressive. So I want to get some chronology first here. That was not when Jesus first called his disciples. That was actually the second time. That happened in Galilee. Uh, with Peter, Andrew, James, and John. And so at that time, Peter's a disciple. When we see this, Peter's not a disciple of Jesus. He might have been uh, a disciple of John still. But we only have two men. We know Andrew, and it's probably, uh, it's probably John at this point. John always speaks of himself anonymously. Uh, so another disciple. So, so James, likely, and, and definitely Peter, have not met or... or seen up close anyway, Jesus, or understood him as the Messiah. So this actually happens first. This happens down where John the Baptist is baptizing, down just outside of Jerusalem, over by the Jordan. Uh, it's going to be later that they're going to go up to Galilee, uh, and Jesus is going, they're going to already have known Jesus and be aware, and so he's going to come up to them and say, okay, now it's time to start as disciples. Just so, so you don't think that this is a contradiction. Um, uh, some people don't uh, quickly see, you know, or understand which one happened first. So, so when, when Jesus comes by on the Sea of Galilee, they, they recognize him already. They've been around him. So, uh, but their answer is strange. I want to get back to the idea of expectations. Jesus, Jesus walks by uh, John and, and Andrew, and he says, what? And he, he sees them, and they, they come to him, wow, this is exciting. You're the Messiah. Uh, John the Baptist is standing there, and, and he says, what are you looking for? What are you looking for? Now, they don't really answer his question, if you notice. They just, they just say, uh, can we see where you're staying? Now, I don't know what, what, what that has to do with what you're looking for. Maybe, maybe they wanted to, to see how impressive. I mean, if, if you're the Messiah and you're the, you know, the, they have all their ideas built up. I mean, certainly a Messiah is going to come and, and probably have a pretty impressive place to stay. You know, nice, nice uh, mansion or something. And uh, we'd like to come see where you're staying. They're, they're excited. We could be disciples. I mean, we're, we're going to be a part of this. What are the perks going to be? I don't know what, what they're thinking. They want to know where he's staying. And I'm sure that whatever their expectations, when they get to the place, wherever it was that Jesus was staying, they were a little crestfallen. I'm sure there was like, whoa, maybe, maybe we need to think about this. But it's 4 o'clock, and, and travel being then what it was, they're probably not going to be going home to wherever home is. It's, you know, you're on foot, and so it's, it's in the evening, and, and the sun's going to be going down pretty soon. And so... Well, we might as well stay and talk. And obviously by the morning, uh, Jesus had impressed them a little bit, if not by his dwelling place. So, so they have these preconceived ideas. And I think we see that in this story. And, and I think we see that Jesus addresses them. What are you looking for? If you have preconceived ideas about God... And what God is about and what Christ is about, they will be challenged. Uh, if you've been in 
if you've been a Christian a long time, you certainly understand that. Uh, that that our, our preconceived ideas are a uh, are often challenged. Um, have you ever gone someone somewhere and had a preconceived idea about what you were? It was you didn't really know where you're going. Maybe you're hanging out with some friends of a friend or whatever, and you get to where you're going and you're you already wish you could leave. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation like that, and it doesn't have to be in a weird, creepy way, but just. It wasn't what you expected in these friends, you know, they, they're not your kind of people. Uh, you might now look at your friend in a, a new light, but, but I, I have this feeling that, that this is kind of what they get there. Like, and Jesus wants to know, what are you looking for when you come to Christ? When you come to me, what is it that you really want? Because what you think you want not, might not be what you're going to get. And so we get limited by a lot of things. We're going to look at three mindsets that limit us in our preconceptions. In Matthew chapter 20, Matthew chapter 20, verse 20 and 21 is our first one. Uh, <clears throat> the mother of Zebedee's sons, that's James and John, came to him with her sons, kneeling down and asking something from him. He said to her, What do you want? She said to him, Grant that these two sons of mine may sit, one at your right hand and the other at your left in your kingdom. But he answered and said to him, uh, You don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I'm going to drink and be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with and so on and so forth? And he's, he's talking about suffering. I'm going to suffer. She doesn't recognize that. Uh, now this is an interesting case. Now is this just a helicopter mom asking a favor for her sons? Or, or uh, is this the kids, they kind of wanted to ask Jesus, but they didn't think necessarily they could get the, the request. They already kind of, you know, you, you know, sometimes you know when you're going to ask a question, it's going to be a no anyway. But you just, hey, maybe I'll, I'll ask it. So they try to, to get mom to ask it. Now this is interesting. I've done some cross-referencing. Um, and uh, the mother, uh, if, if you look at the accounts of the, the, uh, who's at the cross, uh, every account of who's at the cross in the Gospels lists four women. Now, some of them are the same. Mary, of course, uh, uh, Mary Magdalene is there. Uh, and, and, but one of, the women, one of the women that is there is identified differently. In one place, she's identified as uh, the mother of Zebedee's children, as she is here. In another place, she's identified as Salome, right? Uh, and so as we start to cross-reference who Salome is, uh, the other reference is that she is Mary, Jesus' mother's sister. And think about that, probably a sister-in-law. Uh, so that would make, if that is true, if we're looking at the cross-reference correctly, that would make... Jesus' uh, aunt, this Salome, that makes John and James his cousins. Think about that. Uh, and, and so this is kind of, you know, Aunt Salome is coming to tell Jesus, do you think you could do a favor for your cousins? Yeah. They're your cousins. I know you've got 12 people, but they, they, they need an in. A little nepotism never hurts a thing. 
And so, so Jesus is getting asked a favor by Aunt Salome. And I don't necessarily think this is selfish. Maybe, maybe she thought that, that these, these men are clearly better than the others, or they're, they're, they're closer, whatever. I don't know if they're selfish or not. But without even looking at the motives, we are often limited by our goals. Uh, Maybe James and John really felt that they were capable. I mean, they, they say in this next thing, oh yes, we can be baptized with the baptized, baptism you are. Now, they didn't understand it, but they're going to be. I, I do find it kind of interesting that the, they, they want to be at the right and left hands of, of Christ. And in a metaphorical sense, they are going to be. Uh, James is going to be the first one to be put to death, and John is going to be the last one to die of the apostles. Uh, that is just kind of an interesting thing to me. Okay, you want this? I'll, I'll, we'll, we'll see if we can hook you up. And uh, so, uh, personal achievement doesn't always have to be selfish. They, they might have thought, you know what, we are ready, we're capable. We are often driven to do the best that we can. And we want to be the best disciples, we want to be the best Christians that we can be. That's not, that's not wrong. But sometimes when we are driven by our goals and and we have preconceptions about what God wants, we are wrong. Um, We might want to make sure something gets done right, and so we remove tasks from other people that we think are are not capable of doing it as as well as we can. That's not necessarily what God wants. We get so into our goals that we get preconceived ideas that God is more concerned with, uh, you know, if we're doing some type of project, God is much more concerned about unity, for example, than he is making sure that everything goes smoothly. Um, We get preconceptions. A lot of times it's our goals that get in the way. We start off sincere, maybe, and and maybe negative uh, or, or wrong motives do creep in from time to time. Every preacher in Bible college wants to and imagines himself as a preacher to congregations of hundreds and hundreds. And, and it might not be a wrong thing. He might think, I want to be so successful. I want, I want to lead people to Christ and I want to be so successful. And, and over time it might develop into a thing of he wants to be the preacher of hundreds more than seeing hundreds brought. It, those things can come in. And, and be a part of the mixture. Uh, and, and personal satisfaction and achievement can, can alter um, our expectations. In our desire for a good process, we can minimize others' achievements, looking for whatever. And, and so uh, I can imagine, right in this situation, I can imagine... John, they've been disciples uh, here at this point uh, when, when their mother is asking uh, for them. This is not the beginning. This is more towards the end. This is Matthew chapter 20. And uh, I can imagine them by this point saying, listen, you can't. That Peter guy, I mean, he's always putting his foot in his mouth. We, he, it's just, you, you can't work with that guy as your number one. You need a right hand and a left hand man that are a little bit more mature than that. 
And so we get limited by our goals and by our expectations that way. I want to talk about some other expectations. You got it wrong. Matthew chapter 20, right here in the same chapter, verse uh, 29. Um, he says, Now as they were to Jericho, a great multitude followed him. Behold, two blind men sitting on the road, when they heard Jesus was passing by, cried out, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, uh, Son of David. The multitude warned him that they should shut up. Be quiet. But they just started crying out more. Have mercy on us, son of David. So Jesus stood still, and he called them and said, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Lord, that our eyes could be opened. And Jesus had compassion and touched their eyes, and immediately their eyes received sight, and they followed him. He said, what, what's wrong with this? No, nothing wrong with this. But sometimes, um, I think we get limited by our value system. Uh, Jesus, I want you to notice what Jesus asks. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus left it open-ended. What do you want? I think of the story in the Old Testament where, where God talks to, to Solomon. And Solomon's beginning his, uh, he's beginning his reign and, and God says, what do you want? What do you want? I, 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 anything you ask, I'm going to do for you. Just pick one thing and I'm going to do that. This is like a, a magic genie lamp you rub off, and then it boom, out, pops the genie, and Gus says, you got one wish, one wish, don't waste it. Think, think hard, what do you want? And, uh, and Solomon picks something noble. He picks wisdom. Uh, maybe there were better things that he could ask, but, but it's certainly better than asking for riches or whatever. Now, God ended up giving him that because he asked for something noble. But, but these men could have asked for anything, God simply, Christ simply, he did not, you know, limit them. What was on their hearts? What was on their minds? What have they lived with for however long they've lived with it? Were they blind from birth? I don't know. Uh, have mercy. The thing that they were interested in was their blindness. Their physical condition. So God said, okay. You, you, have, you have faith. They weren't shutting up. They were going to ask. They, they had confidence in all that thing. Everything we talk about when we talked about faith. They had it. And so often our desires are centered on physical things. And I'm not saying that's bad. God didn't say, you know, Jesus here doesn't say, well, you, I'm not going to give you what you want because you're asking for physical things. He answered there. This is what you want. And, and we get limited by our physical condition, uh, the things that we want, uh, financial situations, whatever it is. And this is what we're interested in. Neither of these men thought about their spiritual condition. Now I want you to understand, again, this is the end of his ministry. How many times have we seen Jesus walk by somewhere and say, your sins are forgiven you. Well, what do you, you can't forgive sins? Okay, what is it easier to say? Forgive your sins or uh, take up your bed and walk. This man has walked by and forgiven sins. And these men don't ask for forgiveness of sins. These men don't ask for a spiritual condition uh, to be renewed. That What's on their mind is, is their eyes. And I'm... It's easy to criticize them. I'd probably be about the same way. 
Or maybe they, maybe they just assumed we can take care of the spiritual stuff later. But I do believe that, that it at least serves as a metaphor for us to, to make sure that, that when, when God asks us what we are most interested in right now, that it is not my physical well-being. It is my spiritual well-being that is first and foremost. And God can take care of the physical stuff later, much like he did with Solomon. The last thing we're going to look at uh, <clears throat> is in John. John chapter 5. And we're going to begin in verse 1. John 5 and verse 1. He says, there was a feast of the Jews. Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by a sheep gate, there's a pool, which was called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porches. In here is a great multitude of sick people. They were blind and lame and paralyzed and waiting for the moving of the water. Uh, because it was believed that an angel would come down at a certain time in the pool and stir up the water. Now whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. Now, I want to, to stop here and understand that this is probably a belief that was had and not necessarily a real thing that happened. Uh, there's different, or perhaps this is the Old Testament, maybe, maybe God just had this magic pool here and did that. Uh, now, a certain man was there who had an infirmity 38 years, and when Jesus saw him lying there, he knew that he had already been in that condition a long time. He said to him, do you wish to be made well? The sick man said, Sir, I have no one to put me in the pool when the water stirred up. But while I'm coming, another steps down in, in front of me. And Jesus said to him, Rise, take up your bed and walk. And immediately the man was made well and took up his bed and walked. And that day was the Sabbath, and Jews said to him, Oh, what are you doing on the Sabbath? Okay. Now, what this man knew was the potential of a magic pool. And I want to talk about how often we are limited, in our expectations, we are limited by our imagination. We have limited ability to imagine God's power. Oh, I mean, we know God's powerful, but, but sometimes when it comes to my life and, and God's ability to do something in my life, I, I kind of hesitate at his ability to do something for me. I mean, I know in a, meta, you know, in a general sense that, oh yes, God is powerful and, and all these things, but, but somehow in my life, it's, it doesn't work out that way. Um, he doesn't look like he's aware of who Christ is. He doesn't ask Christ to heal him. And so this man just, I, I don't know if he's heard about him and never met him or whatever, but, but this man could not possibly imagine. Here's Jesus, and, and, and what he thinks of Jesus is, Jesus is a man to help put me in the pool. That's all he sees Jesus as. Here's a, finally a person who can help me get healed, but only the way that his imagination had ever, had ever helped. You know, this is the way... This is the way things get done. And he doesn't know that there's something so much better. And Jesus asks him, what do you want? You want to be made well? 
And we sometimes limit God to natural methods. Now, I'm not suggesting that we start having faith healing services here. I don't think that's going to do anything more than this pool did. I don't think this pool did anything, and I don't think faith healing services do anything. But what I'm saying is that we are limited in our imagination, like this man. The cures that we think of that our world needs, for example. Oh, we assign these to natural causes. As we talked about faith, maybe you said, well, you've overgeneralized some things. Uh, we have an interest in justice, or I have uh, role models, right? We, we talked about some of these things, that the people that we look at as, as important. We, we place things over here as, as so important, right? And when we show that when we, we do these things, that, that, that God has, uh, that we limit God's methods. In other words, we assume for example, that God needs pro-life politicians. You ever thought of that? We assume that God needs that to get done on this earth what he wants to get done. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't have them. I'm just saying we limit God's ability. You know that since 1986... Abortions have dropped every continuous year. That's amazing. God has apparently, however he's done it, and whatever's happened in society, our abortion rate in the United States is a third of what it was in the early 80s. And it's, it's been so when, when, regardless of who the politicians have been or who's been in power... Again, I'm not saying that, that we shouldn't care about that. But I'm saying we assume first that God needs to work the way we would work. And God says, I don't really need to work the way you work. I can do things on my own. I have other ways. And so we pray for God to guide a doctor's hands. How many times have we ever prayed for God to guide a doctor's hands. Now, I'm, again, I'm not saying that that's a bad prayer, but I'm saying we, we automatically assume that God uh, only works that way. Uh, I think it was yesterday or the day before, uh, a friend of mine, it was their 25th anniversary of an amazing, amazing thing. Um, his name is Chris Cadwalder. Uh, he's in, in Missouri. And... Uh, he had a uh, life, almost life-ending event happen to him. He was shot point-blank with a shotgun by accident um, while hunting and uh, almost bled out. He's in the middle of the woods. And, and he got brought to safety somehow. They, they, they got a, a rescue vehicle out in the middle of the woods and, and got him in. And, and here he was on his... And he said, by the time he got there, there were there's hundreds of doctors you know, working on this case by, by the time this gets going. And I can't remember the exact timeline, but, but here's doctors. And, and the first thing is, and, and I remember where I was when, uh, when people called and said, we need prayer for this guy. Uh, he's probably not going to make it. I mean, uh, he said, he said that the x-rays of basically this portion of him, <laughs> he's like, it, it, it looks like spaghetti. You know, it, it was just... 
there were so many surgeries. I forget how many surgeries he had to try to piece him back together after. But, but in that moment, on that day, he said they couldn't even stop the bleeding. It was, they, they were pumping so many liters into him, and it was coming out just as fast. And here's all the doctors, and we were praying, oh, pray for the... And, and it wasn't the doctors. And one of the doctors, later on after he had recovered, he was in a room and, um, with a bunch of people. They, they, they wanted, to, wanted him to address uh, some, some groups and whatnot. And, and uh, he didn't recognize all of the people. He didn't know who all the people were. And it was told to him that these were all the doctors that had worked on him at some point in time. And he didn't know most of them. So he was aware of some of the doctors that had been involved in this case. There's hundreds of doctors that, that were on this, on this case. And one of the doctors was talking about how um, they, were, they were putting this, you know, all these liters of blood into him and they couldn't get it to stop. They thought they were going to lose him. And one of the doctors said, and then the bleeding stopped and we don't know how. We don't know how. I know how. <laughs> and he said, uh, he, was giving, he was telling us about this a little bit after, a few years after, and it was at a, a large church gathering. He says, it was people in this room, not doctors, who were praying. That stopped that. God doesn't need to work the way we think that God works. Again, I'm not saying that we shouldn't pray for, for the guidance of doctors or things like that, but, but I'm saying we sometimes limit to God to those methods when God can do much more than that. Just like this man expected God to work through a magic pool. And I'm not saying it's a lack of faith, but maybe just a lack of imagination. Lack of faith is different. Lack of faith is when you're presented with God's ability to do something and you just don't think he can. But, but this, it just never occurred to the man that here was a guy that could heal him. And so as we conclude, I want to just give you some challenges. First of all, to dream bigger. The, the scripture says that God is able to do abundantly, exceedingly more than we can ask or imagine. And that's, that's, what, a, what a verse when you break that down. How many descriptions are in that verse of God's superior ability and our inferior ability to visualize his capabilities? So dream a little bit bigger. That would be the first thing I would ask you to do this week. As you look at the challenges and the things that, that you think are wrong in the world and, and all, of, all of whatever's going on in your life, dream bigger and dream in the right direction, in the right location. Don't fix your ideas on what your personal goals might be, what you think should be going on in the world and, or in your life. and All this is what, what I think should be happening. God might have some different ideas. Focus on the kingdom. Don't focus on the things that everybody else is focusing on. Their mind is in a different place. The world around us has their mind in a different place. Do not, don't put your mind in that place. Your imagination needs to be in a different location. 
Because those little things, when we feed ourselves those little things, they will pull us off course. Even if we have good intentions at the beginning, we will eventually end up in a wrong place. Uh, so those are my, my two challenges for the week. Uh, dream bigger and in the right location.